0: WOOOOOO <laughs> everybody and welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 251 uh and uh, i want before we get started tonight i wanted to uh just first of all um in uh, our chat in discord so far and i think she's going to do it in twitch as well um uh Carita has been circulating a link to a little survey that we're doing just trying to kind of find out where people are. Uh, Karita is our regional moot coordinator. And so we're trying to find, um, you know, of the people who attend our broadcasts and everything, where are you guys located so that we can, you know, make sure as we're targeting regional moot locations, we can uh, figure out to make sure to, you know, target places where we have uh, a lot of people. So a little little regional moot questionnaire um, that she's... um, that she's circulating there uh so i uh i just recommend if you if you care to help us figure out where we might want to target to uh if you're interested in increasing the chances of a regional moot being located near you know becoming to near you um that would be very helpful to fill that out um because we do have um we've got discussions of many regional moots underway. We're talking about our next Buckeye moot. We're talking about, uh, bringing Magnolia moot back in the Southeast. Uh, we're talking about the Pacific Northwest moot. Uh, we're talking about uh, a whole bunch of things I've mentioned before. We're very close to confirming Maple moot and, uh, Tex moot and uh, a whole bunch of, um, um, a whole bunch of other, uh, of other regional moots. We've also been working on our next Europe moot as well, um, hoping to uh, uh, to uh, get over to Europe again. And don't forget that coming up very shortly, we have Ozmoot down in Australia. So you can sign up to attend digitally. Uh, if you cannot actually get to Australia, you can join us and either watch the sessions live at a fun and unusual time of day, probably wherever you are, or, um, uh, of course, you can get access to the uh, archive of recordings uh, of those as well. So, um, I wanted to just make sure that you guys remember that, and also, don't forget, we are coming up now. Before long, we will be opening registration for MythMoot this year. MythMoot 2023. Our triumphant return uh, to the NCC. We'll be back at the National Conference uh, Center, which has been our primary venue for many years. Um, And uh, that has been uh, that has been so much fun. Um, We couldn't be there last year uh, because they were housing several thousand uh, children, refugees from the Middle East. So that was we were delighted that they were able to do that and to kind of help. You know, accommodate that, however we could, Um, but we did miss our favorite venue. So we're going to be back to the NCC um, now, and uh, uh, looking really looking forward to that. Um, It's going to be as usual the last weekend in June, Um, and as I say, registration should be before too long. We're 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 working on that. Um, So MythMood is uh, is is the the big wonderful concert, uh, concert, uh, uh, the big wonderful conference of the year. Um, uh, yes, June in Virginia, just the place for a Karathras reenactment. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but, um, anyhow, so yeah, it's, um, uh, really, really looking forward to Myth Moot again this year, and I hope that uh, many of you will be able to join us. Good, God. I saw that you signed up for Sunshine Moot today. Very exciting, Sunshine Moot. I didn't even mention that one—the one that is actually open for uh, uh, for registration already down in Orlando, Florida, uh, in March. That's March, isn't it? I'm pretty sure that's March. Um, sometimes I get my calendar confused, but yes, there we go. March, March 18th. That's the one. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Sunshine Moot was great fun. Uh, we returned to that one last year, so we're going to be it's going to be our second time in you know uh, the uh, post pandemic um, uh, Sunshine Moot. It's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Um, all right, so lots of excitement on the spring Moot front as we preparing not only the spring. Uh, moots, but uh, uh, summer and even starting to look towards next fall uh, as well. So uh, that's going to be that's going to be pretty cool. All right. Well, let us get back into the text. Oh, and of course, the other thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, is today is a fun day today is the first day of our spring semester uh, in our graduate program at signum university Um, of course you know our graduate program has been around for a long time we've now been running this for 11 years Um, and so you know sometimes i forget to announce new semesters because it's you know it's become part of life you know the rotation of our semesters in our graduate program Um, but i did want to mention it especially since there's still time to sign up for courses if you wanted to um, so, people who are interested in really digging deep, people who are interested in um, either taking courses towards the master's degree or also towards the graduate diploma, which we have. Um, the graduate diploma is you take the same courses as you take in the master's degree program. So, it's, you know, the, the course by course, it's just as rigorous, but it's not, it's about half the length of the master's degree program, and it does not have a required master's thesis at the end. Um, So for people who are really interested to take some courses, um, you know, to really dig in uh, to the academic study of uh, Tolkien and uh, medieval literature and Germanic philology and the other courses that we offer, um, uh, this is a a really great uh, opportunity. Uh, Our graduate diploma program is a great way to... uh, well, I was going to say get your feet wet, but you you do a great deal more than getting your feet wet. And yet you're not committing yourself to a, a longer term degree program uh, of the master's degree and the big project, which is the master's thesis at the end of that. Um, so, um, yes, the graduate diploma is sort of equivalent to what the Europeans call their diploma. Our naming, our nomenclature there was, in <laughs> fact, influenced uh, by the uh, by the European system. Yes, exactly. Um, but. But. Um, Anyway, so uh, I just you know I wanted to to bring people's attention to that you can so even if you have you, maybe you have enough degrees maybe you can't commit to a master's degree right now um, uh, it would it's uh, it's a, a fun opportunity to be able to dig in and take real graduate classes get a graduate diploma with a concentration in Tolkien studies for instance uh, you know there are a lot of people who have been doing that um, and it's been uh, it's been a really re- rewarding experience for folks our graduate program is really top notch um, uh, just the 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 best place to study Tolkien and Germanic philology in the world so uh, Definitely want to encourage people to look into that on this, the first day of classes of our spring semester. But as I say, not too late, even now, to join us. Uh, And certainly great, exciting classes coming up in the fall, uh, in the summertime. We have three full semesters a year. We don't just do like a weird summer term or something. We do a full semester in the summertime. So we have spring, summer and fall semesters. Um, So really fun courses coming up in the summer and fall here as well. yeah. Anyway, all right. Let us get back into the text. So um, I wanted to... We we ended talking about Sam last time, and I had some... Uh, I received some reflections on Sam uh, from uh, a friend. Many of you have met him, Peter Ribsky, um, who can't usually be with us live because he lives in Finland and it's already the middle of the night over there. But... Um, uh, Peter's been to Mithmoot many times. For those of you who have been, uh, and might have gotten a chance to meet uh, uh, to meet Peter there, and if you were very fortunate, uh, to sample some of the Finnish vodka that he sometimes brings with him to Mithmoot. But um, uh, Peter was was interested in our conversation about Sam, and was thinking, especially in response to what I was saying at the end, where you know I, I was talking. Remember, I was talking about the observations people were making that. Sam sounds like a grumbling soldier and I said, yeah, I agree, that's true but that in itself is only to say that is only to observe a similarity Like I I, I perceive that there is a similarity between the way that Sam is talking and the way that soldiers sometimes talk Um, what I want is then the next step so what is that doing then? What does it do? Like, why do soldiers do that? Um, are they just whining? I, I, you know, presumably not only that. Like, what? You know, you know, if if it's going to help me to understand what, not only what Sam is doing in the sense of what does it show us about Sam's own mindset, but in particular, what does it, what does it do for Frodo? What does it? Uh, what does Frodo get from it? I th- think. That's an awkward way to say it, but something like that. Anyway, uh, Peter uh, sent me a message and was, um, uh, was, he was interested in this question in large part because he's been in the military for his whole career. Um, he's been in the U.S. Navy uh, for like 20 years and says that he, you know, he, he spent decades listening to complaining sailors. Um, uh, uh So uh, anyway, he, he was pointing out several things about this. One of the things he was pointing out is that griping and complaining always goes up the chain of command and not down. Those in the position of leadership make decisions and hope for the best. They want to offer confidence for those who are following them. So people who are in a position of command, a position of authority, sort of can't complain. Like, it's, it, it's a serious breaking of the rules for them to complain. Um, and so there is one sense, therefore, in this way, in which the private, right, the person at the bottom of the ladder has a kind of freedom, not quite responsibility, but like, they're the ones who can give voice to the things that everybody is thinking, right? And when he was talking about that, that felt like Sam... A great deal. Like, I felt like that actually helped me to understand Sam's role a good deal. Um, Sam is absolutely, with the possible exception of Bill, though I think that's debatable. Um, at the obviously at the bottom end of the social totem pole in this company, right? I mean, there's just no question. If there is a, if there is a a, a private in this company, right? If there's, um, you know, if they, like the the lowest ranking person, clearly Sam, right? Um, and uh, um, and that there's a way in which, again, that being the lowest points and, and you know, he was he was kind of walking through and realizing, uh, you know, it, listening to Peter talk about it was making me realize something we had been already starting to get at. There's a lot of there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen, you know, when it comes to the company of the ring. Right. There's a lot of leaders here. Um Not only in the sense that you've got Aragorn and Gandalf kind of sharing leadership in a sense, but then you've got Boromir right there. He's the kind of leadership (laughs) elephant in the room, right? The guy who's the general and used to giving commands and who's been pretty good about not doing it, right? Um, And not stepping in, but seems to be increasingly kind of itching to stick his oar in because that's what he's used to doing. But even... Beyond that, even Gimli and Legolas in particular, he's the son of the king, for crying out loud, even Merry and Pippin are, um, you know, at least from high social class, right, and are people who are um, at least sort of in a different social kind of position. There's a... Sam is really, like, the only... (laughs) the only peasant right in the entire um, in the entire company right he is he's is the only one who doesn't have any now it's not that sam and pippin are in a leadership position within the company right that's that's clearly that's clearly not the case and i'm not I'm trying to imply that but what i'm saying is though relatively speaking right even think back to merry especially when they set out from crick hollow right he was not just their guide he was you know he kind of took charge Right, and what my point there is simply that Mary is, um, you know, in doing that, in kind of acting that way, um, Mary is showing that that world is kind of natural to it's 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 not alien to him, right? Being in a position of authority is not is not a strange is not a strange world, right? And then of course there's Frodo, and and now Frodo was always the leader and the senior, the oldest member of the Four Hobbits, right? But of course, even in this company, there's a sense in which he's the leader. He's the point of the whole mission. I, he's not, uh, as, as Peter said, he's not the commander in the field here, right? But he is the focal point of the entire group. Um, in other words, nobody can complain. <laughs> there isn't anybody. Um, there isn't anybody who can give voice um to the uh the sort of feelings of everyone right except for Sam and that Sam seems to be f- uh seems to be fulfilling his role um uh and and you know so Peter went on to you know point out some other things about how like you can see how um sort of careful Gandalf and uh, Strider have been about disagreeing in front of the troops and everything right and that's starting to now spill over a little bit in the previ- in this in this slide here that we looked at last week. Um, at least the debate is kind of opening up now uh, uh, to the public and one of the things that he was pointing out was in this context, right the context of this debate which leaves Pippin crying out miserably but what can we do Right. Which is, of course, the risk when you have the leadership, like multiple leaders who are all debating amongst themselves. Right. Um, Especially openly in front of everybody. You end up with Pippin saying, what can we do? Um, uh, Shivering miserably. Right. Just wanting somebody to figure out how to get them out of this problem that they're in. Right. Um, What Sam does is not that Right. He's complaining. Right. Um, he's griping about the situation. You know, Aragorn has just said, we've passed no place on the way up that offered more shelter than this cliff wall we're under now. Um, and, shelt- and and Sam mutters. Right. He doesn't doesn't shout it out. Right. He's not he's not like yelling at Strider. He's not um, uh, he's not, uh, re- you know, opposing or rebelling. He's only muttering so that Frodo can hear him, right? And he's giving voice to the thing which, no doubt, Frodo and everybody else, including Aragorn himself, is thinking, right? Um, Aragorn can say, let's make the best of this, right? This is the best we can do. There was no better shelter down and the shelter up ahead is even worse, right? So this is the best we can do. Let's make the most of it. That's what he has to do. What else can he say? as one of the leaders of the group. But it falls to Sam to say, okay, but this sucks. (laughs) right? This is really bad. Um, I I get it, um, but this is not shelter. If this is shelter, then one wall and no roof make a house. And there is... He's not making a joke. This is not designed to make you laugh. um, But there is a kind of... um, There is something slightly disarming in this, right? And notice what he's not doing. What he's not doing is complaining about the leadership, right? You know, he could be muttering something like, um, you know, darn idiots don't know what they're doing, leading us up here into the snow to die. Um, That's the kind of grumbling, you know, when the private starts grumbling like that, it's a little bit... um, less good, right? Um so Sam is not uh, if anything his comment about the shelter um and his sort of whimsical statement of it doesn't quite diffuse the situation but draws attention away if anything from the the debate, the trouble, right? In a sense. Um so um Anyway, I um, uh, I think that so I just I wanted to share with you uh, some uh, some uh, there were uh, several other um, uh, several other reflections that uh, uh, that that Peter had had as well. But his overall point in the end was he thinks that there is a kind of reassurance to Frodo um, in acknowledging the doubts, like for there to be somebody who acknowledges the difficulties to be overcome, the discomforts that they're all under. Um, and, you know, so somebody to say the thing that he would want to say but can't let himself say because he's in a leadership position. He can't do that, right? Um, and I wonder, what the other thing that makes me wonder, remember we were focused before um especially back in the time between the council and the departure from rivendell um and then also at the beginning of the journey as well so most of the earlier part of this chapter in other words um we've been focused a lot through the discussion of this chapter so far um on the ways in which many people uh, gandalf bilbo especially before they left rivendell um were focused on kind of keeping frodo's spirits up um there, was a, there seemed to me to be a good deal of focus on Frodo's kind of emotional and spiritual outlook, right? And the more I've thought about it, again, especially assisted by Peter's reflections, the more I've thought about it, the more I think I can begin to see how Sam's grumblings actually help uh, Frodo's... Um, Frodo's... State in that way. On the surface, it seems to wholly contradict it, right? Everybody else trying to kind of cheer him up and get him to think about positive things, and here's Sam being Mr. Doom and Gloom, right? Here's Sam puddle glumming over the whole thing, right? And um, sounding almost like he's determined to look at the worst at things instead of the best, right? Here's Aragorn being like, let's make the best out of this overhanging cliff wall uh, that we have right here, and Sam, you know, Sam being like, yeah, that's not shelter, right? You know, Sam seeming to make the worst of it, right? Um, again, on the surface, it seems like he's doing the opposite of what everybody's doing. It seems like the direction of his comments would be towards, like, tearing down Frodo's state. Again, superficially. But the more I've reflected on it, as I say, especially assisted by Peter's reflections, the the less I think that that's true. That there seems to be something, something helpful, something... Um, uh what's the um uh not healing that's too like strong a word um wholesome i guess in sam's mutterings right in sam's um uh in sam's grumbles because they they give vent to something which might otherwise kind of build up in frodo right Um, And even by providing, there's a sense in which, there's a sense in which also, this is Sam kind of taking advantage of the opportunity provided by the relative positions of Frodo and Sam. Frodo is Sam's master. Right. He's Sam is his responsibility on some level. Right. Um, That seems clear, I think, in the sort of social contract, uh, you know, sort of unstated social contract between Frodo and Sam, um, that both of them, they're friends. And I'm not trying to undermine that in any way. um, But Sam is still his servant, plainly sees himself as Frodo's servant, the way that he calls him master still all the time, right? Uh, makes that explicitly clear and Frodo accepts that doesn't correct him or anything like that. Um, so what I mean is, as the one in that position, as the one who is in that leadership position over Sam, it's Frodo's responsibility to cheer Sam up and bring Sam along, right? Um, by providing Him, So he not only kind of speaks for Frodo in a sense, says the things that Frodo is thinking, validates the things that Frodo might be feeling, right, but not let himself say. Those things I think are all valuable in themselves. But in addition, he is also providing an opportunity for Frodo to cheer him up, which stirs Frodo himself like Frodo can't. Frodo knows his own duty to, Sam knows that Frodo knows his own duty too well um, to let himself grow despondent if he has a semi-despondent, a periodically despondent servant whom he needs, whom it's his responsibility to keep going, if you see what I mean, right? Um, uh, So that seems to me I, I there there's a way in which it occurs to me that there's a sort of perverse kind of encouragement right um Sam knows that one of the ways he can get he can keep frodo's spirits up is to put frodo in a position to keep his spirits up if you see what I mean um and yeah Matt I do agree with you there um Part of that social contract, and the one between officer and soldier, and master and servant, is that the grumbling means things are okay. When it gets very formal, things have gone wrong. Yes, and there, I think it's also, a fr- the grumbling is also a first cousin to hobbitry. Um, notice we've we've said before: Marion, Pippin, and Frodo, and Gandalf, um, all indulge in broad hobbitry at various times, teasing, right? Rare, very rarely does it go down to Sam. Very rarely does Sam give dish it out. Um, and when he does, he's fairly tentative about it, dishing it out to his betters, as his father might say. Um, and um, uh, so, yes, I think that that, um, Matt, there is a, it's just like um, if, Frodo and Merry and Pippin all started being, like, frightfully polite to each other at all times, it would be a sign that there was some serious strain on their friendship, right? It looks, something would be very, very wrong with that relationship um, if they stopped like, you know, teasing each other and saying horrible things to each other. And I, I suspect that there is a parallel thing going on. Again, Sam doesn't Sam doesn't rag on Frodo in the same way that like you know Mary and and Frodo you know will rag on each other um, but but I think Sam's grumbling does kind of fulfill that role as you say, if things were really bad, Sam wouldn't talk like this and we'll see when things get really bad Frodo Sam won't talk like this not to Frodo anyway right um, yeah, and so miss Ray, I really love that observation. Um, She's saying it's. we can see it's a sort of way in which Sam carries Frodo uh, even early on. Yes, yeah. And I I, I think in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking of that, uh, Miss Ray, you know, that um, Sam, certainly if one were to look at passages like this and try from that to build the case that earlier on Sam is a downer, Right. The Sam is like a weight on Frodo. I think that would be a serious misreading, an understandable one. I mean, there's evidence to support if you wanted to try to make that argument, you'll find evidence to support it. Um, but I still I think that despite that, it would be a very tone deaf interpretation of that evidence, um, because I agree with you, Miss Ray. I think that he is um, he is certainly not less attentive to Frodo's like mental, emotional, and spiritual health than Gandalf and Bilbo are, right? He's not less sensitive to that and not less solicitous about it than they are. Um, And uh, and so therefore, I think uh, an interpretation that understands his comments like this in that context seems to me important that's why I've been still kind of wrestling with this ever since we stopped last time um, and uh, was really grateful for, uh, for Peter's uh, for Peter's comments um, yeah um, yeah for Thomas I, you're right I think that Sam engages in a kind of hobbitry with Ted Sandiman, um at the pub but he, but there, there's like an edge to it. Like he, he, um, it's not quite the same, um, as, uh, as it is between Mary and Frodo, for instance. But, um, but yeah, uh, but I agree. We certainly don't see it in most, uh, in most other places. Um, but yes, Jackie, you are right that, um, we will get a little bit of an explanation about this, uh, from, well, we will get Mary's reflections on this later on in the House of the Healing, um. I don't want to look at that passage in detail right now, mostly because it's going to be important to think about that in the context, uh, in, its, in its own context. Um, I'm not saying it isn't relevant. And certainly if one were like writing a paper on this subject, um, that would be a very relevant place to look for sure. But at the same time, even Mary's own construction, like even his own analysis of his own culture that he's delivering at that moment, I think is colored by where he's sitting at the moment, which is, of course, in a bed in the Houses of Healing after the Battle of Pelennor Field. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, exactly, Jackie. It's all good. Don't worry. We'll we'll get we'll get to that uh, real soon. Uh, <laughs> real soon. Um, Yes, yes. Very true, Carita. Well remembered that the theme of Sunshine Moot in Orlando in March is leadership. And so there would be an interesting paper uh, on this point, uh, on this stuff to be delivered or discussion, to, further discussion to be had at that moot. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, great question. What social class is a Miller? Millers are weird. Uh, in lots of ways because on the one hand they're working people. I mean they're they're not like aristocrats, right? They're not book learned, they're not you know and so in many with from in many of the social indicators, they're you know just as blue collar as everybody else. but they're also they also tend to be rich and very influential because they tend to have a monopoly on a thing that everybody in town needs. And so they tend to be in a kind of position of power um, and often of wealth. Um, you can tell on account of how, um, everybody, like the Millers in medieval stories all tend to be, um, not only villains, but ridiculous villains. Um, there's a lot, <laughs> seems to be a lot of resentment towards Millers. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, Fort Thomas says that Millers would have been like the medieval equivalent of a lawyer working, work for their money, but pretty significant. Yeah. Kind of, except the difference is like schooling, right? Um, uh, lawyers undergo like school, you know, and, and so it, it's a learned profession, right? Being a lawyer, um, you got to, you got to do book learning to get there. Whereas again, Miller, Miller, not so. Um, so it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a strange kind of, um, I mean, right. The joke is that like the, you know, the middle class is emerging for a thousand years and, and uh, it's one other example of something like a middle class emerging there. Um but, um, but J.J., yes, also in that lawyers also have a poor reputation in society despite having an important job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Um, certainly being a... Mil- well, there's no comparison to by the time you get into, like, the 18th and 19th century and you're talking about, like, professional men who are not, you know, aristocrats and not, you know, workers... Uh, like lawyers and doctors and clergy and soldiers but um those are the four professions of course in England in the 18th and 19th century but um but again society had changed millers are not you know uh did not have the same position uh in 19 in post industrial revolution even even 18th century society that they had in the middle ages but um so Emily Ted and Sam would be in the same social class but there would be tension there would likely be t- and again in a sense the sandymans are yet another example of the trope of the miller who is one of the people but separate from the other people right like <laughs> both because they're jerks and uh, and because they but like the i mean they're they don't they don't either one of them fit in either senior sandyman or ted sandyman Right, um, and we can see a similar kind of friction between Sandyman and the Gaffer, and Ted Sandyman and Sam. Um, they are in the same class; like they notice they're drinking in the same pub. Right? I mean, you don't you don't see like Pippin's dad down the pub uh, uh, with them there. It's actually an interestingly, um, it's one of those things that people don't usually pick up on in the films. But of course, like the scenes where you have everybody, including Marion Pippin and Frodo, all like uproariously involved in the, you know, singing the Green Dragon song, right? In the Fellowship of the Ring film. Um, I No evidence that that would have happened, right? Does Pippin like the pubs? Sure. Yeah. Um, he enjoys the beer. Um, but would they be a member of the company in the same way? If... Um, You know, with the conversation between the gaffer and Sandyman that happens in chapter one, would, if Bilbo walked in to the pub, you know, to the ivy bush that night and sat down, would conversation continue uninterrupted and him be welcomed like one of the locals? I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear he wouldn't, based on the conversation that they're having. They speak of him like a stranger, though he can't live more than a few hundred yards from the inn, probably. Um, But um, anyway... So it's, uh, um, but yes, at the end of the day, Edith, I think my answer would be when you're thinking in terms of like general class parameters and stuff, Ted and Sam are peers. Um, Ted and Sam are peers in ways that Sam and Pippin and Mary are not um, and won't be until Sam is elevated at the end. Um. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they do join the company when invited by Borrowman at the Prancing Pony. Yes, it's true. Um, but they're there joining as strangers, uh, strangers, uh, visiting their land and therefore maybe you know interested to, sh- you know, swap tales and and learn new songs and and things like that. Um it's um it's not the same as saying that they would necessarily join the company at the Ivy Bush. Again, like I, you listen to them talk, listen to uh um, you know, read Sandyman and Gaffer Gamge's conversation in chapter one at the Fellowship of the Ring about Bilbo and just imagine Bilbo popping up popping in like you know, again, the movies tend to imagine, seem to imagine them doing. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. Um, (laughs) Dill you're right. Um, uh, very few jokes to be made about Miller's would be cruder than jokes made about Miller's in the middle ages, especially Chaucer, who was quite, uh, I I, needless to say Chaucer's Miller is the one that is always kind of first in my head, whether it's the Miller from the Miller's tale, Um, or the uh, Miller from the Reeves tale. Um, Yes, Chaucer's Millers are the ones that uh, I always think of first. But um, uh, anyway, Um, but uh, all of that is beside the point. Let's start discussing (laughs) our our passage tonight. Actually, tonight is a relatively short one. Um, This is one of those sections where I was having a, a harder time getting a good length of slide without interrupting where i didn't want to interrupt the company now gathered together as close to the cliff as they could it faced southwards and near the bottom it leaned out a little so that they hoped it would give them some protection from the northerly wind and from the falling stones but eddying blasts swirled round them from every side and the snow flowed down in ever denser clouds they huddled together with their backs to the wall Bill the Pony stood patiently but dejectedly in front of the hobbits and screamed them a little. But before long, the drifting snow was above his hocks, and it went on mounting. If they had had no larger companions, the hobbits would soon have been entirely buried. So, Jackie, exactly, there you go. Turns out their house does not have one wall. It has two walls, right? Do you call a house with no roof and two walls, one of which is your very faithful pony friend Bill a house maybe maybe um okay, which part of a horse is a hawk it's yeah the like the like the 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 ankles below the knee right i I think it's in other words, I'm gathering the snows like um like four inches, four to six inches. Like I, I, I don't know. It's it's getting deep, but it's not that deep yet. But it continues mounting, right? Um, so, yeah, between the first and second joint, right? Yes, um, right. The joint in the back leg that points backwards. Okay, there you go. There you go. Um, presumably the same as a ham hawk. Yes. Um, Oh, there we go, trifle. Thank you very much. We have a mo- we have a picture uh, of a uh, of a of a of a horse there. Okay, right. So it's high. It's higher than that. About a about a foot deep or so. Um. Going on, uh, going on half a meter, and yes, uh, since Bill is only a pony, it would be, he would be shorter. So probably less than a foot. Um, but moving up towards a foot of snow and continuing to mount. Um, yes. Yes. Um, right. Okay. Um, right. Um, meow, I, I know that Bill is not a house, certainly not, um, in, um, in an ice moon of Hoth sense. Right. Um, I, uh, I totally, um, uh, I totally, I totally acknowledge that. Um, but, um, uh, but still, it is delightful. And it's another one of these sort of un, it's an unstated connection, right? Like the, nothing in that second paragraph there explicitly reminds us of Sam's complaint that he was just making two paragraphs before, right? Um, about having only one wall and no roof. But um, uh, the fact that n- the only thing that is pointed out, there are two things that are pointed out. Right. One is that Bill is standing in front of them and in front of the hobbits in particular. Right. Um, You know, as if he is volunteering to be that second wall to their house. But of course, the other thing that's pointed out is that he's doing so dejectedly. Right. Which just goes to show Bill, like Sam, is also low person on the totem pole and free to complain <laughs> right bill um is at least as free as sam is to uh uh well if not speak the awkward truths um emote them right um yes exactly cuz he may swish his tail freely um uh and uh give vent to the uh, um uh, give vent to the um, uh, uh, realities of the situation. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to call him a naysayer, uh, Emily. That that seems to go too, uh, too far, perhaps. But, um, yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, he is a really interesting kind of counterpart to Sam. Especially, and again, in as much as he's actually practically responding to the complaint that Sam just made. Um, If I could give words to Bill's dejection here, uh, remember, Sam was just saying, shelter, you call this shelter, then one wall and no roof make a house. Um, And Sam in return, (laughs) or Bill rather, in return, is basically saying, well... At least you have one wall, I have to be one wall right? How would you like that <laughs> so um uh, so sam's um sam's grumble can actually be um uh be uh trumped here by uh by by bill's complaint there so um there you go um <laughs> yes <laughs> um love Bill the Pony here. Um, But notice the emphasis, despite this delightful little image that we get of Bill in the middle of it. Um, Notice how that second paragraph brings things to the Hobbit's perspective. So in the first paragraph, we get the general description of the, company, of the company and where they're standing. They've just been talking about this cliff and everything. Aragorn talked about it. Sam talked about it, right? Gandalf talked about how there was nothing else further up. Um, and now we're told what they're doing, and we kind of pan outwards a little bit to see the situation. The company now gathered together as close to the cliff as they could. It faced southwards, and near the bottom it leaned out a little so that they hoped it would give them some protection. Hoped! It would give them some protection from the northerly wind and from the falling stones, as was saying. But it's no good. Well, apparently they don't get crushed by stones, but the eddying, eddying blasts swirled round them from every side and the snow flowed down in ever denser clouds. Um, this is another moment... Uh, there's a lot to like about the Peter Jackson film version of this moment, but I am put in mind of the... Um, Uh, of C.S. Lewis's essay called On Stories, where C.S. Lewis is griping about the film adaptation of Ryder Haggard's King Solomon's Mines. And what he's complaining about is that in the film, so in the book King Solomon's Mines, near the end, uh, the protagonist of the story and his companions find themselves trapped in the ancient tombs of these long dead uh, you know this long dead civilization um, and they believe that they're trapped in the tombs and that they're going to slowly starve to death in the darkness surrounded by the silent dead of this old ancient civilization and cs lewis describes the the sort of suffocating feeling of that like of, of the, the sort of the lingering dread that they're facing of that prospect and his complaint about the adaptation the film adaptation is that the film adaptation felt um, that that ap- appeared to um, feel that that was not a sufficiently engagingly cinematic way to go um, so they made like a volcano erupt and like lava br- bust out everywhere Um, And as C.S. Lewis points out, they succeed in actually like increasing the danger that the protagonist is facing and escaping. And so in that way, they make it more exciting, more tense. But the point that he makes is that in doing so, they completely change the kind of story that it is, like the kind of experience that you have as an audience member in that moment. Um, and um, I, I can't help. So that's why uh, I can't help but think of that example. Um, C.S. Lewis's comments there when I think about the Peter Jackson adaptation of this moment. Um, Peter Jackson, of course, replaces the huddling against the cliff with the snow, uh, with the wind swirling around and the snow. Uh, slowly mounting around them. He replaces that with a wizardly confrontation between Gandalf and Saruman, over a long distance, um, culminating with a lightning-induced avalanche which successfully buries the company without injuring them, right? Um, And... They're in danger. In a sense, they're in more danger, almost. It would seem they were in more danger, maybe, I don't know. Um, But I would say, like C.S. Lewis said, that it very much changes the quality, like the nature of the story. Um, This paragraph here seems to me, uh, really both of these paragraphs, uh, seem to me to capture um, a good deal of the um, the story that Tolkien was telling in this moment like the kind of danger that they are in and it's an interesting kind because it's um, it's not a running and jumping and heart thumping terror kind of terror inducing situation Um, It's this sort of slow desperation, right? Um, They hoped it would give them some protection, but eddying blasts swirled. Uh, Remember the way in which by Aragorn's implication the wind itself the wind is causing the noise, but that does not make what Boromir said untrue. Aragorn suggests at least I take Aragorn as suggesting that the wind itself is subject to the malevolent voice that they're hearing, right? That the wind whistling in these—this wind whistling through these rocks is the voice of carathras the cruel, um, who is perhaps not working under Sauron's orders, but is for them in this moment— just as dangerous and just as real uh, a threat um, as uh, uh, as Sauron, right, uh, would be if he were here, um, or if he could reach this far exactly. But eddying blasts swirled round them from every side, and the snow flowed down in ever denser clouds. The snow not only continues; it continues to intensify, and then as We've seen before we get the one paragraph describing the outward circumstances and then we get the second paragraph which describes the experience, what it was like, what it felt like to be there. And when we get that, we almost always, almost without exception, I'll be keen to see if we ever do get an exception to this. I don't think we've had one so far, so I will say always get this from the point of view of The Hobbits. They huddled together with their backs to the wall. Um, And then we get the business about Bill the pony, but before long the drifting snow was above his hocks, and it went on mounting. If they had had no larger companions, the hobbits would soon have been entirely buried. Um, We see that statement, I think, in the context of this paragraph, is not, I think, intended to be a um, a It's not intended to be like an objective statement. I think it's a reflection of their own thoughts and fears and dread. Um, the If they had had no larger companions is a glance ahead at what is about to happen. But the idea that the hobbits would soon have been entirely buried, I think is definitely, this is, that is a Frodo reflection on the experience of what, like looking back at it, um, you know, huddling against there, feeling the wind blowing, seeing the snow. You've ne- you're a hobbit, you've never seen snow like this before right? So falling with this kind of speed and in this kind of wind and you're just watching the snow creeping up the legs of Bill as he's standing dejectedly in front of you, right? Screening you from, uh, from some of it so you can see him because he's your wind shelter, right? Um, and you're just watching the snow mount and mount and mount. I mean, is not only, are not only you, but even the pony gonna be buried in snow before it's done? Not only does it not look like stopping, it's not even stopped increasing in its in the rapidity of the fall. Um. So that um, that sense of uh, of hopelessness is, I think, a really important element uh, in this. It's that seems to be hopelessness in the sense of like there's nothing they can do. What can they do? Um. This is not a like you can't even run away from this foe, right? Um. They are it's hard to imagine any circumstance even with the um even w- in the dell under under weathertop when they were being attacked by the black riders they were you know standing back to back and drawing their swords not that there was any real hope that they would be much good um they the hobbits necessarily would be much good against them though again i think upon reflection we see they're more than they think um but again even there against the ringwraiths there's more that they can do to protect themselves, to save themselves, at least to run, um, than now when they are, um, completely helpless and incapable of doing anything. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, Vardendil, um, the supposed origin of the, of the Misty Mountains. There is a brief passage in the Silmarillion which says that it is said that the Misty Mountains were thrust up by Morgoth in order to impede the riding of Orome. Um But um, that's what the elves think. Anyway, other people might have other stories. Sorry. I'm going to stop talking about this now. Um, as, <laughs> as I'm flirting with territory, with things I'm not supposed to talk about in public. Um, but uh, anyway, um, yeah. So what does that tell us about Karathras? I don't... Um, it doesn't prove anything one way or the other though it is of course i think important that the idea of there are two there are two things that are associated therefore with the misty mountains ab initio, right like from the from the beginning and that is malice and to be a barrier so if one, at least, of the Misty Mountains is still a cranky fella who uh, spitefully tries to keep people from crossing the mountains. That would seem to be kind of in character, right? That would seem to be in keeping. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the spirit of Karathras is a servant of Morgoth? Was a servant of Morgoth, or was corrupted by Morgoth? I, I, I don't think we can say any one of those things um, with certainty. Um, what I, um, what I do think um, is uh, that it does seem to fit into the spirit of the thing, and I don't think I don't think that that's uh, an accident. Gilduin, exactly. He could just be a cranky old. A cranky old dude, exactly. As uh, Corita says, not all jerks work together. That's just what Aragorn was saying, right? Just because, you know, he seems to be doing, acting kind of Sauron-esque uh, and working against the enemies of Sauron doesn't mean that he's working, that he's in league with Sauron, necessarily. He can just be independently cranky. Um, but, um yeah. I do agree, Forth Dauntless, that the spirits of created things in Middle-earth reflect the wills and purposes of their makers. Um, But, of course, the spirit of Karathras, I think, would be different. Um, um, (laughs) Right. Bjornis says, the enemy of my enemy might also just be an asshole. It's true. It's true. Um, I... Yeah, so... um, but the thing but anyway uh for Thomas back to the point that you were making i i agree with you and i think that's an interesting thing to think about um what i would say though is that um there's carathras is an independent spirit like it's not is not the spirit of carathras will not be something that is made by morgoth right um presumably he is one of the Ainur, right? There were many spirits, some great and some much lesser. Um, uh, that's clear from the very beginning of the Book of Lost Tales. Uh, it's explicit in the Book of Lost Tales. And characteristically of Tolkien becomes less and less explicit as time goes on, though that does not necessarily mean that the way that he thinks about it has changed, um, just that he's, the way that he expresses it, perhaps... Might have changed, but uh, but the idea that the natural world is full of little spirits who have many of them some kind of affiliation with uh, you know one of the great spirits um, you know like sprites and sylphs and brownies and things like that which are all mentioned by name uh, in the Book of Oz tales. Um, and then, of course, yeah, you've got, well, not only Bombadil, but even more importantly, in my opinion, you've got Goldberry, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Um, and it seemed, and remember, I was talking about, you know, when we were in Holland and Legolas' speech about the rocks remembering and stuff, and I was recalling how in the first draft of that, of that, of this chapter, I said that chapter as if that were a different chapter, feels like a different chapter, but we're still there. Um, Legolas had, was explicitly talking about the spirits that live in that re, in Holland compared to the spirits that live uh, the woodland spirits with whom he is friendlier from back home um, so uh so yes, I do th- believe that there is middle earth does seem to be invested. It doesn't mean that the like the mountain has come alive in some sense. I don't think that that's true. I think that these are, um. These are okay, These are spirits that have come in from the outside, uh, largely. But, um, um. But anyway, yeah. I think that uh, so so. Kharathras will not have been a product of Morgoth, even if Morgoth did. Um uh you know, even Morgoth did make the misty mountains and make them for the reason that he did, but one could imagine Karathras, um you know, if we had um a whole backstory, right of Mr. Karathras, right? it would be you know it who knows maybe uh you know, you could imagine a a spirit who settled in this nice um. Uh, lush plain, right? And is like, this is great. I love this patch of land. I think this is going to be where right where I'm going to stay. And then Morgoth comes in and is like, mountain range! And Carothras is like, and now I'm on a mountain, right? Um... Oh, I'm kind of cranky about that now. And anyway, I'm also kind of influenced by the general spirit of crankiness and um, impediment to travel with which this whole area has been invested by Morgoth. So, um, you know, that uh, doesn't make him any happier. Um, anyway, that's that's that. Uh, uh, possible, (laughs) right, version of Garothruss' backstory. Um, So could there be influence there? Yeah, yeah, possibly. But again, I think um, Aragorn is pretty clear he's very clear that we mustn't assume that just because something is um, malicious and cranky that it's in league with Sauron. Um, Though, of course, it doesn't prove that he's not Either right, um, he doesn't know. Um, and when Gandalf said we hadn't come back to this, I've been meaning to come back to this statement. Remember when um, Gimli is scoffing, um, when Gimli is scoffing at uh, uh, at Boromir's statement about Sauron, you know, bringing snow down from the north. 300, you know, to trouble them 300 uh, leagues away, Um, his arm has grown long indeed, if he can do this, Gandalf immediately says, his arm has grown long, right? And I take Gandalf to say, don't rule out the fact, don't rule out the possibility. Um, Could um, Sauron have in some way reached out to Carathras, right? Hey, uh, Karathras, can you do me a solid and keep anybody... Could you just close the pass right now? Right? Um, I'd take it as a kindness, uh, Mr. Karathras, if you would not let anybody cross the path. The pass, please. Right? You think you could send him a crank call, Blancsmon? That's possible. It's possible. Um, Now, again, is Gandalf asserting that he knows that that's the case? That Sauron has formed some kind of alliance with Karathras? Uh, No. He doesn't know, but I think he doesn't rule it out either. And going back to Boromir's original statement, this is why I think I think Gimli is misreading Boromir's original statement. He's not just saying, um, he's not just saying I'm imagining that Sauron the Dark Lord causes every bad thing that happens in the world. I'm being like, vaguely superstitious you know about this that would be um one i mean it would be one way to understand what he's saying and i can understand why Gimli might think that but i don't think that that's even what boromir meant um m- remember he said he has strange powers and many allies and that i think is what gandalf is picking up on when he's like hey let's not laugh at this now right his arm has grown long um Right, Merlin's parents. I agree; it would be a little bit strange uh, for Gimli to misinterpret anything. Um, that would be out of character. But, um, but there we go. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, or Eric. Uh, Eric, we do have to keep in mind. Um, we also don't know... I mean, uh, into uh, 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 into all these policies comes the Balrog, right? Um, there's been a... Um, we will be told later that under Karathras, a terror slept, right? So how has it affected uh, the worldview of uh, the spirit of Karathras uh, to, you know... Uh, be the home of the Balrog, uh, especially one that has been, has you know, had his coming out party over a thousand years ago, right? Um, one who um, has been, you know, has sort of declared himself, right? Um, would that have an- affected him? I almost said infected, which would have been, um, but I'll go ahead and say it to affect him, to infect him in some way. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Um, exactly. Knowing his roots for a couple thousand years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mean Curtis <laughs> says well now I feel bad for the jerk mountain. You know it, yeah like uh, here we go Karina let's take this one step further what if the causality goes the other way around that is what if the balrog settled down there because karathros was already such a jerk he felt right at home right um you know what if what if the reason uh he was sleeping under karathros was he got there and he was like oh this is my kind of place right um so he's not really been influencing karathros rather karathros was accommodating him right um who knows um but uh yeah, it is possible, right, J.J., that the poor, innocent Balrog was corrupted by the Mean Mountain. Hey, maybe he was repentant, right? We, we don't know, right? He fled from Thangarodrim. Maybe he was going to repent, right? And then uh, uh, but then he spent a couple thousand years under grumpy Karathras and, like, there went that idea, right? Um, exactly. Exactly. Karathras provided a nurturing environment. Exactly. Nurturing of Ranking is, um, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, and 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 yes, I do also acknowledge we don't exactly um, know what um, uh, the nameless things are and what their gnawing might, uh, how their gnawing might influence the mountain as well. But um, any, anyhow, anyhow, you still feel a little sorry for the mountain, yeah. Well, you know um I I think that's an okay place to be karita I don't th- let me let me bring it back to this a lot of people a question I've gotten many times if Tom bombadil is good why doesn't he destroy old man Willow why does he let old man willow Keep doing what he's doing. Old Man Willow's awful. And he's not only personally awful, he's like influencing the entire forest. He's making the whole forest evil. Right? I mean, if there is a bad apple that is wrecking that whole bushel, we know who it is. Right? Even Tom Bombadil knows who it is. He's not not unaware of this. He's not oblivious to it. Right? So why doesn't Tom Bombadil just throw down with Old Man Willow? Um, and I think part of the answer to that, Old Man Willow is like Carathras. I think in the two of them, I think we, we see two fairly similar kinds of spirits, I think. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, we certainly did talk about this before, but I wanted to talk about it in this uh, uh, in this context because to me it seems to be um, the spirits themselves... Karita, I'm coming back to you feeling bad for the mountain. The spirits themselves, the spirits of these areas... Are not exactly innocent. It's not like their fault. It's not like uh, we should just feel bad for Old Man Willow, right? And be like, "Oh, poor Old Man Willow. He's the victim here." Like, no, he's a he's a bad egg at this point. Um, he is what Treebeard would call bad right through, right? Um, and there's no there there are no there are no two ways about that. Um, but. They don't seem to have the same kind of agency that others have. They're they're in a different kind of category, I think. I mean, it, they seem to be in a different kind of category. Um, yes, they're part of the music, Aspen. But, um, yeah, no, I hang on. The reason I'm talking about this is that when we did talk about this before, we were talking about Tom Bombadil. I'm not talking about Tom Bombadil right now. I don't want to talk, yes, Tom Bombadil is master. What does that mean? That's not, well, that's what we talked about before. That's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about these spirits as spirits. I'm talking about like what it means to be a genius to be a genius loci uh, in Tolkien's world. Right? Um... And I think that there are some. Karathros is an interesting case study in some ways. Um, Is he evil? Is he a bad guy? Is he, you know, on Team Melkor? He might be. Maybe he volunteered. Maybe he's a cranky spirit who was a servant of Melkor from the beginning, and when Melkor said, hey, um, you know, I'm erecting this mountain range to stop Oromei, oh, wait, but I need somebody, there's a pass here in the mountains, and I need somebody to look over that. And uh, intermittently give people crap when they go over this pass. And maybe Carathras was a maybe, maybe, maybe he has a different origin story. Maybe he's one of the malicious servants of Melkor and is like, "I shall take up residence. I shall adopt this mountain. Right? I shall take up residence in this mountain, and I promise to give people, a, you know, you a, know, unilaterally a hard time for the rest of creation. Right? I mean, like that's maybe." You know, maybe he is a bad guy. Maybe he is, like, just an evil spirit on the side of Melkor. Um, But it's all... But, again, Aragorn raised the possibility that he isn't necessarily like that. Um, uh, That he might not be... And, again, even Old Man Willow, going back to Treebeard's comment... um, he talks about that sometimes, like, whoorns will go bad, right? Um, and that it can be, they can be bad right through, not their wood, right, remember, but their, 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 their hearts are black. And he says that kind of thing seems to spread. Um, he talks about it like a disease. Um, like some kind of tree blight. It's like a moral tree blight. Uh, to listen to Treebeard talk about it. What he does not do... Is say, therefore, we I have to put him down like mad dogs, right? He doesn't suggest anything like that. It seems to be sad, um, but uh, uh, it seems to be sad, but it doesn't like it seems to sadden him that it happens. Um, he doesn't approve, and he seems to. There's evidence that the Ents exert some control over the Huorns to prevent them. Even those that have gone bad to prevent them from indulging any of their darker tendencies, um, but uh, um, but he's yeah the Ase parallel is interesting. Um, it's complicated. So Asse, of course, you'll remember um, the junior lieutenant of Olmo. Um, and the two things that are relevantly interesting about Aaseh are, first, that he is, he goes bad, right? He is briefly tempted into rebellion. Um, you know, Melkor tries to pervert him by offering him the top job if he'll join his side. Um, but then he comes back. He repents. And comes back. Um, but, but there's more than that. There's also the fact that Asse's job is violence. He's the one who's in charge of coastal storms. Um, and he just loves wrecking stuff. That is part of the music. Um, so yes, Ase being the... The Maya of shipwrecks, basically, right, Um, doesn't make him evil. It doesn't mean he's not part of the music. He is part of the music. The violence of Ase is part of the music. Um, But I do not believe that Tolkien's world is a simply dualistic world where, like, evil things and good things all have their place and you can't have one without the other. That is not Tolkien's world. Um, uh, anyway, getting a little bit further, um, uh, further afield here. But it's all interesting. I mean, it's all related to this question of Karathras, which is, I think I mean, the question of the origin story of Karathras is a really fascinating one to me. If I had to guess, I don't think he's an evil spirit. If I had to guess what his origin story is, of the two I gave, one where he's a genius loci and uh, a, a genius loci gone bad or at least gone grumpy over time is origin story A. Origin story B is Minion of Melkor, who takes, you know, takes up that position in order to serve Melkor, um, by making things hard to people, uh, for for people, I I would favor origin story A all day long. Um, that feels more right to the text, to the overall picture of the text, and what we see of these kinds of uh, um, uh, these kinds of these kinds of spirits. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, Boromir's horn, that I can buy. He seems to be something like a mountain horn whose heart is blackening. Yeah, that's why I was comparing him to Old Man Willow, because it feels to me like a similar kind of situation, where you have nothing's evil in the beginning, right? You have a strong spirit who's attached to this particular locale and who's just gotten cranky over the years. Karathras has been called the Cruel for a long time, right? Um, uh, You know, we don't know exactly when he went bad, how bad exactly he went. Um, uh, But, but yeah, something like that seems to have happened. Um, uh, That's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Freebird, I don't know why as the spirit of a mountain, he would have the power over the weather in the mountain. But everything about these passages suggests that he does. Um, Or, let me be one step more cautious than that and say... Everything about these passages seemed to me to suggest that the characters believe that he is. Aragorn seems to... That's how I take Aragorn's I-do-call-it-the-wind-but-you're-not-wrong statement. Yes. It's the wind. That's how he talks. Right. Um, Yeah. He would have the power of the earth, but what does that mean? Like, we don't know the boundaries of what his power would be. What a mountain spirits power would be i don't know that we have reasons to assume that would only like you know like earthquakes yes wind no like i i'm not saying there's no logic to that i'm just saying that seems to me a logic that we're imposing on it whereas the text does not in any way suggest any kind of um i get there's there's logic to it but the text doesn't make any suggestion there i the and and, and instead the text makes every implication um, that at least Aragorn and probably Gandalf um, accept the idea that creating storms and blowing. Even that first paragraph, they're hoping they would get protection from the north. The wind is from the north, right? And the cliff faces southwards. So they're like, great. The wind is blowing from the north. We're facing south. We should be safe here, right? Oh, you can't escape me that easily, Right. Uh, the, the editing, eddying blasts swirl around from every side. Um, there is, you know, there is malice to this here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Bond. I also want to hear some of Gimli's, um, songs that have been written about Karathras. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, Fanaro's Fanaro's Pizza, I agree. He says, I think we can think of Carothras as being bound to a place rather than confined to a material. He's not the rock of the mountain. He's everything that makes up that place. Yeah, I mean, look, think about this. Um, think about Old Man Willow. Old Man Willow um, doesn't just control his tree stuff. Think of Old man Willow whispering, um, uh, whispering of sleep, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Tomas, that's a really good point. Tomas is talking about how some mountains can kind of create their own local weather. Um, yeah, that's true, um, and one could easily imagine that, therefore, being sort of extended to this idea if there is a genius Loki, you could ima- you can it's certainly easy to understand why if you believed there was a spirit in the mountain that one of the things that it would be doing is sending bad weather to you right um, yeah yeah um, Right. For Thomas, I agree. Creating sleep in the shade is exactly the sort of things that normal trees too do too. Yes, except turned to evil, right, by, uh, by old man Willow. But again, it's, it, it's sort of not exactly a power that the tree normally has, right? But it's a thing associated with trees, just as storms in the mountains are uh, things that are associated with mountains. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it is possible, Freebird, that the mountain is working in concert with some other entity. That's a possibility that uh, Aragorn absolutely leaves open. Um, that Gandalf, and, and Gandalf is does not want them to ignore the possibility that Sauron could be involved, even if indirectly, right? Um, but, um... Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Um... Okay. Um, All right. Well, it's late. That's okay. We're good with this passage anyway. Uh, Next. The next passage is Frodo's dream, right? Oh, yes, it is. Another little dream from Frodo. Okay. Um, So next week, we shall be back to discuss um, the Frodo's little vision, dream hallucination moment um, and Boromir takes the next step in his relationship with Aragorn and Gandalf that will be next week um, so join us next week uh, and then I'll, unfortunately after that I'll be gone for two weeks well it's hardly unfortunate because um, it will be in the interest of traveling to and from Osmut. Uh, both of those next two Tuesdays are going to be my travel days uh, en route from uh, uh, from Australia so I won't be around for the next two weeks um, after that but I will be here next week so um, we will have the the, the rest of the um, uh, uh, the the next Karathras passage next week uh, and then two weeks off but it's field trip time now so thanks to those of you who were able to join us for the for the book discussion here this evening, and we're going to continue our eye opening field trips of this of Cardolan, um that I've never seen before. All right, Let's hang on a second, let me get my game fixed here. There we go. Wow, another full house tonight. Yes. Yes. Okay, sorry, coming right back in here.
1: This is where all the cool kids hang out. Yes. One of us, one of us. We accept you, one of us. Google Gobble. (laughs) Okay.
2: Get everyone
0: in. Here. Okay. All right, I'll be back in a moment. I mean, you're hopping because you want
2: to be at
0: Yeah. All right. Oh, meow. I am so looking forward to my ridiculously long flights. It's going to be awesome. Huh. Huh. I love long flights. The longer, the better. And this will be the longest flights I've ever been on, and I can't wait. I am so excited.
2: Listen to all of the Silmarillion, probably.
0: (laughs) No, it's going to be a pair of writing retreats. My favorite thing to do on airplanes is write my book. I get so much writing done on airplanes. Really? Oh, yeah. Even relatively short flights. It's like literally my favorite environment Like, if I need to get writing done at home, I have to, like, pretend I'm on an airplane. Seriously, it's the best.
2: Oh, you you can, like, there's videos for that. It's pretty great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the best. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to get so much done. It's going to be fantastic.
2: Yeah. Me, I have to put on uh, cafe soundtracks and pretend I can afford to sit in a Starbucks all day. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's like two, two, like, Weekend retreats. Um, oh, man. It's going to be so good. Okay. And so I'm, I'm too
2: distracted. I always want to look out the window.
0: Yeah. Nah, I favorite. sometimes get distracted by other people's movies. But, uh, but, you know, apart from resisting that temptation, that's uh, pretty much my only distraction. Okay. So I think we're going to meet at the convoy again. I think this will probably be the last time because my goal is to get down... To Sarn Ford and get the. uh, I think there's a. There's a stable master there, so probably another milestone. So. We will. Yes, there
1: is a milestone there. I figured. I figured so.
0: Alright, so yes, we were looking last time at the quite remarkable uh, relationship between. The historic land of Cardolan at its height, and the the tombs of the ancient dead uh, that were around there first. That whereas the connection between the people of Cardolan and the Barrow Downs seemed to be at least, I would have thought initially that it was at least. We're told that they take refuge there in their last days, like when they're under siege. Uh-huh. Um, but it seems like their relationship with the dead and with the barrows of the of the ancient dead uh, seem to go beyond merely taking refuge there in time of need. And they seem to have built their city in the midst of the whole...
2: Necropolis. <laughs>
0: necropolis of the dead there, which is just fascinating. Again, even in the Barrow Downs, you remember in the southern Barrow Downs, we found that one large... Ruin. um, Mm -hmm. From Cardolan. And that looked like um, that looked like a you know, the the stronghold that was built there when they were under siege you know, at the end. Um, That's how I took it, you know, when we were looking at that before. But all of this stuff like, not only, and the way in which we were speculating, it looked like maybe there were, you know, mausoleums, they were kind of like merging with the Ancient dead there, and anyway, it was fascinating and kind of creepy. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's um, let's head south. How much? Um. So, shall we? Shall we follow the road? What do you think? Let's 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 get there more
1: quickly if we do actually.
0: Well, I know, but that's the question is. If is that a thing we want um, we could we went th- we went across Gorth. oh no we wanted to go down to oh we forgot Withy window. yeah with
2: the window that's right with the
0: window hang on change of plans change of plans
1: <laughs> I was waiting for you to remember
0: yeah okay we're going north forget it <laughs> we're going north can we can we go overland to the Withy window
1: Yep.
0: Can, can we get into the old forest productively? Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, I recall we started to get there from the first one.
0: Okay. So how do we get there? Can we, can we just like cut across the hills here? Yep. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go into the old forest uh, and find right. the Withy Window. That shouldn't be hard because all paths lead that way down to the Withy Window. I'm told so, uh, by reliable sources
2: little so it'll steer
0: us there. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, if we head into the old forest. Okay, now turn Garthad. All right, we're headed. We go over the hill. All right. This is still looking rather Barrow Downs-ish up here.
2: Yep. Okay. Oh, that might be a cliff. Uh, I can't.
0: All right. Looks like we could maybe get down here if we wanted to. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: that's Oh, down you go. go.
2: Yep, yep. No, it's broken. Hang on.
0: Can't make it across over there?
2: Hmm? Oh, I just, yeah, probably. I just put my bandages on. That's all.
0: Okay. Let's see. Oh. There's that bridge I didn't wait. Mm-hmm. Is that the bridge we yeah. crossed?
1: Yeah. That uh, is the bridge we crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sark One Bridge. Okay. We were down.
0: Anyway, did you did you get down to the uh, to the forest that way?
1: Uh you can just swim across the, the river if you wanted to.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: They only made one. Portal to other lands in all this new content, and it's at Sarnport. Everything else is overland somehow.
0: Okay, that's fine.
1: Part of it is that it's dark out, and I can't see anything.
0: Well, yes, we're dark in the and dark, and in the don't shady anybody follow me on.
2: Yeah, no, this is advanced darkness.
0: Yeah, so if we go down to the river, right? Yep.
2: yep. You just
1: swim across the river. Elasta doesn't actually say it's the Withywindle, though. That makes me sad.
2: Now entering Southern Old Forest. There we go. I love it
0: when you break your ankles when you fall in the water.
2: <laughs> but we're in combat with something. What's going on here? Something follow us up here?
1: We might have lobbies with us who are aggroing the... There's uh, a barrel yeah. route
0: Okay. Okay. All right. I oh, want so in... to go.
2: Look out for each other, guys.
0: <laughs> can we go further in? Can we get into the yep. old forest map? Yes, you can. All right.
2: Yeah, I have a feeling we'd be better on foot since we're going to be going in and around. Yeah, the
0: I was. Um, that's why I'm. I didn't mount up again when we went across. Oh, still. Still in the okay, so Southern Old Forest is in the mm-hmm. still the new map. Mm-hmm. All right, well, it's not as dark in here as I would have thought it might be. This is really quite lovely. I'm
2: uh, playing Valheim too long, I keep pushing shift to run, and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are the mobs here similar to the old forest mobs?
1: Oh yeah, there's there's hoorns wandering around.
0: Horns. I saw one, and their roots and yep.
1: yeah, and spiders because of course there's got to be
2: spiders, Right. It's like I know there's hoorns, but in this uh, in, in this uh, visible distance here, they still take you by surprise when you come right on them. It's kind of mm-hmm. silent. Yes. It looks. It's kind of like Silent Hill right now. <gasps> This is how bad the fog was on New Year's Eve.
0: (laughs) Like
2: looking through a sheet of toilet paper.
0: Am I looking up at the southern edge of the Barrow Downs over there?
2: Yes, you are. That's silhouette trees. Yeah, there we go. Southern Barrow Downs. Yeah, I'm seeing
0: the ruin of... uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yep, there we go. Yay. Now we're in the Barrow Downs. which Uh, I thought that's where we were in the map on the pathway to go through to the old forest, right?
1: Yes, yes. Indeed so. Not quite, though. This is the southern end of the Barrow Downs. This was made accessible um, some time ago to link the southern Barrow Downs to Old Forest, and now they've made a different path as well.
2: I recall being surprised when I was able to get into this area.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Whoa, what's this big old tree here? What is this?
0: That's a who one, isn't it?
2: Is it? Nah, it's just a big old tree covered in lichen.
0: Old tree, okay. Oh, can we get through here? oh. Hit a dead end.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, we're getting into that part. <laughs>
1: You can go do south. Oops, spiders.
0: You can go do south? That might be. Oh, wait. Hang on. I just entered mm-hmm. the old forest. Oh, yeah. Can we get through? I don't think so. <laughs> I get through that way. Oh,
2: no. <laughs> so many memories of being lost in here.
0: I know. Uh, yeah. I don't think we can get through.
1: No, not in this spot
0: because right. here we're coming up and to go down some cells.
1: Right, so the way you'd normally go down is you go south and cut to the west.
0: Okay. Yeah, okay. And you wind Let's up in south, that then. spider den. Right, the spider den.
1: We want to get closer to the river. Right.
0: Okay, so uh, we we'll go RC, south. I so we can
2: follow you. Yeah, follow the follow the big orange wolf pop.
0: Well, yeah. Okay right
1: wait for folks to catch up yep
0: so south we head from here where I couldn't go west yes Amathor and I have to say I was always suspecting that uh, the maze that is the old forest might change periodically
2: fence? It's a fence. Ooh, (gasps) yeah, hey,
0: look at this. We found another... Ooh. Oh,
2: oh, we've seen graveyards like this. It's a woman.
0: Who's this lady? Henbran. Henbran. Huh. Okay, well, your house is interesting. What a cute little house.
2: Half expected to be made of gingerbread.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not... um, not identical Jopsley. in architectural style to really anything that we've seen.
2: I'm right
1: next to a cheerful little cemetery.
0: Yeah, ah, very and... nice, cheerful little cemetery.
1: Oh, well, there's a nice treasure cache over here. I picked up a polished stone of the withy window. What? What in the what? What? Oh, it's a level 25 pocket item. Neat. Oh, nice. It's a little like bit that strange.
2: like I was a pair of shoes. You got a rock.
1: But normally treasure caches are supposed to give you something that's on level for you, but it's apparently on level for the zone. Maybe it's just a, hey, you found us. <laughs> Maybe.
0: What's right. hey, fascinating
1: um, here is her, she, she obviously lives here because she's got these little uh, farming plots. She's growing yeah. things.
0: Yeah, she has uh-huh. some raised beds here. Huh. Now, I noticed that we're, um, yeah, we're down across the Cardolan border again here. Mm -hmm. We went far far enough south. Um, can we cut west? Yes, we can. Where?
1: Yes, we'll go back up the path and then just cut west.
0: Okay. Oh, through here.
1: Mm
0: hmm. Right on. Okay, so back in the Southern Barrow Downs. Now we're
1: in the spider den in the old forest.
0: Uh, right on. Ah, the spider den.
1: From
2: cottagecore to hardcore.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Vague memories of how terrifying <laughs> this was when I was like... I'm
2: sorry, the, the spiders surprised me. there. They all just... Drop down like Cirque de Soleil,
0: <laughs> like they do. Okay.
2: Big as the wolf spiders we have in Virginia.
0: All right. So I'm gonna second. So I'm looking at the looking at the map, and here we are in the Breeland. Okay. No, hang on. Stop map again. All right. Um. So, I think that that other river was not the Withy Window. It's not. So, are we going to take the Withy Window down to the Brandywine and then follow the Brandywine down?
1: You can do that. Yeah.
0: Would be fun. You know, to sign forward? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. So, that means we got to cut up to get to the Withy Window. Let's go to Tom Bombadil's house.
2: It's always a good place to start when you're lost in here.
0: Yeah. Like now.
2: You have to go south and cut back up. Well, you know what we gotta do, we gotta sing.
1: Oh Tom <laughs> Bombadil, Tom <laughs> Bombadillo. Right.
0: By the water of Wooden Hill, by the reed and willow, by fire, sun and moon, hearken now and hear us. Come I'm Tom Bombadil. Tom
1: key. Except okay, we're about to hit the uh, brandy wine already. Oh, yeah. No,
0: no, no. We, we oh, want to go boy. Aptly yeah, this named. this is going too,
1: too far south. Yeah. So this yeah. is new. This used to be closed.
2: Yeah, this is right. aptly named the Baranduil.
0: The fact that you could swim through from well, Yeah, this used to you be a wall. Before. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's what I remember. Yeah.
2: No, I just meant that it was brown.
1: It is very brown. Right.
0: Okay. Okay. Right. So come up here and then cut this way and then cut that way, and the next thing you know, we're there. It's more or less how it works. Oh, uh, totally yeah. I remember Chocolate getting...
2: River? Where do you get your ideas from?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember a quest item being in that glade. Oh, there's one of the flowers.
2: Mm, yep. Anyone doesn't have a flower? There's one
1: right there. And those names will appear in later game content as well. Cool. Because those are the ant names.
0: Yes. Okay, can we. Can we go right up here? Will we come out by Tom's house if we come off to the right here and then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Take a left later on.
1: Yeah, the new uh, Old Forest map is actually pretty accurate to where paths are. Oh, that's
2: good.
0: Yes, that was not true in the old days.
2: <sighs> I used to beat my head quite a lot against trees and hedgerows.
0: Yes. A path. A bangla. Yeah,
2: paths and glowing and glowing white stones are always a good sign.
0: Now, we've not gotten to the white stones yet, but.
1: Oh, another
0: This power. is going to lead us to a dead end if we're not careful, as I. It?
1: it will. But then we bangle up and go to the withy window.
0: Right. Yep, Did they the change bridge. Tom's house?
1: The footbridge. No. They changed Tom's singing voice, though. A lot of people are upset about it. Oh, I see. Because oh. he actually sings now.
2: <sighs> cool.
1: He's going to be inside because it's after dark. Yep. Right. And Goldberry is out in the back. As she should be.
0: Okay. Gosh, I haven't been here in years. Oh,
2: there's an out, uh, there's an out uh, building now.
1: No, it used to be there.
2: Did it? Mm-hmm. It has been in some time since I've been out here.
0: Yeah, me too.
2: Gotta say, it is one of the coziest-looking things in the dark. I also love the theme.
0: That's the one I have in my house all the time. Yeah. Awesome. Once
1: upon a time, Cordovan played it on his flute, on his stream. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody sent him sheet music for it.
0: Tom Momido's house is very nice.
1: Uh, clearly, we're not standing about. We're having a party. <laughs> hey, he started the dancing. it Wasn't our fault. Yeah, we're just being good guests. It's contagious. Well, that's it. I like to think the minute he started singing, we
2: couldn't help ourselves.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, it's getting late. We should head towards the river. We yes. still got some swimming to do. Yeah. we
2: just
1: was running okay. along the shore just a nice
2: break from all the fog and spiders.
0: Exactly. And hey, it's always good to celebrate making it to Tom's house through the woods. Especially when you come by such a very indirect route as we did.
2: Yeah. Well, this still feels a bit like a six-year anniversary party a bit. There's so many people here and going back to all our old haunts.
0: Yeah. Uh-oh. I'm stuck. That-
2: <laughs> some Stuck under, under the, bridge. the bridge
0: help don't go under the bridge don't go under the bridge
2: okay yep.
0: good okay. old emmanuel yeah
2: hey, don't linger
0: appropriate Do linger. that we should come here because we were just talking about you today
2: yeah well and you were talking about like you know Tom Bombadil and Old Man Willow, and I kept thinking of the line from The Last Unicorn when uh, when the unicorn was regarding the harpy. Uh-huh. And she's, she said, you know, uh, you know, I can't, you know, you, you can't capture me any more than you can capture her. And, you know, the fact that she was evil, but she couldn't hurt her because they were part of the same magic. They were two mm-hmm. halves, of the same coin.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think with one of the reasons that I was thinking about Tom and the willow is we didn't exactly ask this question at the time in these same terms. That is what's the origin story of old man willow? You know, um,
2: not even Elrond knew that.
0: Right. Not even Elrond would know, but, but I bet you Tom Bobadil does, you know, like what? Forgot it. (laughs) Well, That's always possible. But, but anyway, my point is just like, what would, what did, Old Man Willow used to be. Like, it's surely I get nothing was evil in the beginning. Uh, surely there was a time before Old Man Willow's heart went black. To use Treebeard's words, and uh, um, and if so, maybe he was quite different back then. Maybe one of the reasons that Tom Bombadil doesn't throw down with him. Is because he remembers him as he was?
2: Because... He oh, sympathizes oh, no. with his anger. I mean... Yeah,
0: yeah, because... It could because... have
2: been after the Great Bonfire or something like that.
0: Or, right. Or, we it.
2: or a similar Whoa. event.
0: Whoa. Why is the map Whoa. here just the Middle-Earth map? That's really funny.
1: Because we're in a place that doesn't have... This that is isn't on
0: the map. Wow. We are
1: nowhere and everywhere.
0: So... We we're keep the, going here, downstream. There
1: part, huh? Yeah, they're used to, you used to not be able to get past the bears. It used to be a dead end. I tried oh, right, past so hard to get past the bears. <laughs> I tried so hard. To... You used to be able to look like peek through the trees and see a little something there, but it was like, you know, there are wasn't really going thing.
0: over waterfall. This set of rapids looks like a place you should not be able to swim.
1: Yeah, I want a good kayak, a good elven boat. <gasps> we look like we're swimming upstream
2: like
0: trout yeah exactly it's giving me flashbacks. waiting for a
2: bear to be standing somewhere to get us oh, get... okay
0: this is it this is the junction
1: <gasps> yeah. where yeah. the
0: missing window comes so cool okay
1: now you just have to get down this iron forward from here so easy, to the to, to the northwest you could swim your way to bam for long if you really wanted to yes we um, do um <laughs> these where you see the tall reeds that is a boundary you can't cross there um oh. so this is future areas because that's the south farthing
0: right oh, straight yeah. across the river is, is oh, south farthing
1: and we yeah. have one of these stone cairns right here the the mile marker thingies Oh yeah.
2: i didn't think we'd see one off this far off the road mm-hmm. that is intriguing Yeah, that Though, does, does give more weight to your mile marker theory.
0: Well, or to, yeah, because, I mean, it is very much like the other one. Because the stone of those seems to be older than, well, cruder in any case, than, like, the road itself, mm-hmm. you know. Um it's not
2: native to here. Look at all the blue stone.
0: Yeah. Keep wanting to go to the map to see where I am, and I just can't.
1: We're in interstitial space. We are. Liminal just space. Just swim around this nook. To get back to the shore. I think so. I have to go well, way down to get back
2: to the shore, though. Every time I'm in those liminal space videos, I always get eaten by a monster. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm going to zoom out.
0: <laughs> the idea is just uh just as long as we keep swimming. going downstream, we'll be just
2: keep swimming. Just keep swimming.
0: We'll be good. Um it would have been, you know, what what it, what would have been an awesome easter egg is for there to be like a little abandoned boat uh down at the junction of the Withywindle and the Brandywine. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: That would have been cool. It says a little reference to the Bombadil goes boating poem.
2: You have to be capsized though. Yeah, I was gonna say, beware of the reeds. That's where the, the water spirits like to hang out and pull you under.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. But that's so it's um yeah, yeah, still not on the map. Um
2: Swimming in a gorgeous cup
0: of tea. <laughs> it is well. Anyway, thinking about the the you know the genius the genii locorum as we were today, um, it just I, I you can see that the Lotro developers have the same kind of idea of Middle Earth that there are many local spirits dwelling mm-hmm. in most of the places around Middle-earth. And occasionally we see them um, and occasionally they've been corrupted. I mean, the idea which in my memory originates, I don't remember seeing this happen anywhere before we got to Gartha Garwin in the Lone Lands, um, the idea of local conditions causing the spirits of the land to become corrupt. And that, of course, becomes a motif through many areas in Lotro, you know they've 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 sort of played versions of that same same story in many other places. But it strikes me as a very plausible kind of thing, and I, I mean, I I almost brought it up when we we're talking about Carathras today, and I'm like, for people who haven't played Lotro, it's going to require too much backstory, so I, I won't talk about it now. Um, cool. But I do think, I do think that it is. Um, it is fascinating the way that Lotro has constructed it. And I, I have I have always um I have always believed that um I I've always believed that they're, you know in from the red made on, you know, in, in, in developing those storylines oh, yeah. that they have really that they're really leaning into something that is that is genuinely present, though pretty deeply submerged in the books.
2: Yeah, Penlove, and it's yes, it's about, yeah. It's always oh, about betrayal. Um, sorry, it's yeah. always about betrayal of some sort of contract, either between the, yeah. the people who live in the lands.
0: Yeah, or, with like sort of the uh, oath breaker idea that is often involved. Yeah. Um, but even like the way work again with the original Red Maid story, you know how it was about the the blood that was shed, like the the fact that there are there are consequences even to the land itself when the land has been i mean it's it's even like that is in its in its way even a an almost biblical idea of like the blood of abel crying out from the ground right um mm-hmm. you know that uh, when of life. yeah yeah when 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 blood is shed you know when battle is when when especially when like unjust battle is being waged um and the blood of if not innocence, at least you know, like the blood of people who didn't ought to be killed um, uh, yeah. is yeah. staining the ground, um, then it's gonna, you know, it's gonna have an impact on, um, you know, on the, on on the land itself and on the spirits of that land. I, that um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
2: There's, it's uh, almost that implication that when
1: the old fort was built there's a boat. There, There is a boat.
0: There's a duck. Yeah. Where's.
1: Right below me. Right below, right by me.
0: We're. We're pretty far south. A sunken yeah, boat? But it, it's a yes, sunken look, boat.
1: Yes. Look down.
0: <laughs> well, that can't be Tom Bombadil's boat. It was much more seaworthy than that. Besides which, he. He wouldn't have come well, there's way down on There's another one on shore. Would he? know. Oh. He wouldn't have come all the way down here. He would have gone, because he, he was going to Bam for long, so we've gone uh, rather.
1: There's a forest door. path. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall where. It... Do we? Oh, wait, there's an, wait, it says I'm not the fellowship leader?
0: Whoa.
1: Hello. Whoa. I have there's no idea what instance this is. Door. Oh, it's an instant. Woe this... of the willow. Oh, this is where it is. Yeah. Th- that was an older instance. Uh, well, not older, but fairly new. But
0: yeah, uh, it, it says. Was...
1: Yeah, it says most of us aren't eligible to enter. Yeah, so it's a. Yeah. It's a fellowship. Instance.
0: What is it like a three man or?
1: Uh, I forget. It's in the instance finder. It's also level locked. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. we found your boat. I don't remember how far south this is. It sh- we should be getting close to it though.
0: Yeah
1: intriguing
0: but we're still not even that instance isn't on a map
1: yeah
0: all right so i guess we get we keep swimming and we'll end up yep. at sarn ford
1: well i pulled up the cardolan map and we're next to the words old forest in the northwest corner of the map
0: right so if we zoom in a bit here yeah
1: hmm. yeah tom is in oh, that yeah, instance, we're getting there says. oh fun we're,
0: we're getting there
2: yeah, it is a bit ever swimmish but this is for science
0: Exactly. Besides which, the, the primary reason that ever I mean, apart from the fact that you had to schlep across that lake so many times uh, pursuing quests, but even apart from that, you weren't going anywhere. <laughs> it was just like local travel that was inconvenient, right? There we are back on the map now. Um, but, uh, but here, this is, this is not Everswim. This is exploration. This is
1: yeah, an adventure, as my dad This
0: would is say. an adventure, exactly.
1: And we can finally get back on shore and yep. ride to our destination, if you prefer.
0: Yeah, it might be a little faster.
1: Yeah, my arms are getting
2: tired. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm like getting sympathy pains. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a house here.
0: Yeah, a little dock. A little house. Little boat. A little boat. Another nice lady this with is a her proper raised belt.
2: Why yeah. do we have ouchies around us? Why do we have who? Oh, there's a there's a little flashy ball. There it is, there it is. I couldn't figure out why we all have little red rings around us.
1: There's a horn huh? down to the south? Yep. Ah. Eh, who are ain't
2: bothering anybody right
0: now? Well, these little oh, folks ooh. in the woods. Okay. Oh, hang on. Oh.
2: I don't know how people are. What people are using for all this uh, blue clothing they have.
0: Oh, dyes? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh hang on. What have we here? Something oh, you which went up the hill. Not yet. Sorry for. Oh dear.
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh,
0: there's Uh, spiders. I was waiting
1: for you to find this. There'd be spiders here, just so you know.
0: Netting glade, huh?
1: Maybe it's something we should visit uh, next time?
0: Uh, Yeah. Let's do that. Because it's
1: almost 1230.
0: It is, yeah. It's super late. Super late. Heading back to the river. Going straight to Sarnford and purposefully ignoring interesting things from here. Because we'll start from Sarnford next time.
2: Mm-hmm. La, la la I can't see it it's not interesting. That's it. But do shout if you guys are getting mopped by. Oh, it's just so cool, y'all! All this new scenery—so fascinating.
0: I assume we can't cross the river.
1: Not the brandy wine. No, we'll cross the yeah. little river, though.
0: Right, we can cross this one. This is the one that has that—that mm-hmm. we crossed originally. There.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a quick hop and skip, and down to Sarnford.
2: Going down to Sarnfork, going
0: and meet some friends of mine. All right. All
2: right.
0: We're close now. So it's interesting how the the terrain, both the forest and the mobs, like we're still getting hoorns and stuff. Or at least we were north of the river, of the river there. Are still very um, very old forest esque, right? Like we're getting a like a.
2: Well, we only just left the old forests. We're now in Ruddy Moor.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: Look at the big red. Still, rocks the
0: very somewhere. southern fringes. Wow. Oh. Yeah.
1: Ruddy Moor is indeed ruddy. Yeah. <laughs> Aptly named.
0: This Aww. is the same rock, though. That is one of those piles that looks like it might not be a pile. Oh, look, they're all over the place here.
2: It's like Uluaroo.
0: Oh. oh, look! There's a tower. I'm not looking at.
2: Nope, nope, nope. Can't see the tower.
0: Nope. Nope. Don't look at the not gazebo the either. Nope. I shan't look at the gazebo. All
2: I can see are cows, big old
0: cows. Just rocks and cows, and no gazebo. Off at ten o'clock. Not at all.
1: Right here's the road. Bang a right. I don't think these guys are cousins of Dwayne. I think
2: Dwayne was a different animal. We
1: will find out do. soon what Standing Stone will do about Dwayne.
0: And here we are.
2: Hashtag Save Dwayne.
0: Siren Ford. Wow. Wow. It's tiny.
1: It's a Ford hello there no it's a Chevy
0: the Ford is huge
1: it's built Ford tough <laughs> I drive a Ford so it's funny to me alright some nice Eats here
0: yes alright bound to the Ford. milestone yes. at Sarn Ford so this is where we will start next time and we will begin and we will look around from here at many of the things that were there to be seen that I totally didn't see.
2: There's also Excellent. a Stable Master here, by the way.
0: Yes. Yeah, I got wouldn't the Stable hurt. Master, too, Yeah, as a little yeah. backup system.
2: Just reminding our friends.
0: <laughs> yeah. What can I Where? for you? How can I be of service? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Where can you go from here? Other places in Cardolan and Mickle Delving, right? Interesting. Fun.
2: Hey, we like the game. Yeah, I saw. That's how there. much fun we're having. It's not a party until we start lagging.
0: Excellent.
1: There we go, finally got my mouse unbound. All right.
0: Cool. All right. Um very good. We made it. To Sarnford, all the way down the Withywindle to the Brandywine and south. All those connections that I dreamed about for
2: years. (laughs)
0: Very cool. Very cool. All right. We will talk about Sarnford and examine Sarnford and its surroundings uh, next time. Meanwhile, it is super late, so we will let folks go. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on our adventure here this evening. And we will, next week, we will begin at Sarnford, Ford, our field trip. So thanks, everybody. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye now.